I'm glad to be preaching on the 4th of July. It gives me an opportunity to tell, has to be one of my favorite stories. If I've told it to you before, you probably weren't listening, so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> it's, it's the story of Tisquantum. Tisquantum was a Native American Indian living on the eastern seaboard of the United States in the early 1600s. In 1605, 1603, he was taken as a captive, as a slave, by pirate ships who, that roamed the, the seaboard, the eastern seaboard. And he was sent to England, and he there was a slave for nine years. He learned rudimentary English. He understood about English customs. And through a number of associations, he was able to gain passage back to the New World on one of a fleet of ships that was heading that way. Well, the captain of the particular ship that he was on decided that he could make some money off this young man by selling him as a slave. Now, remember that he was 12 years old when he was taken, and here it is nine years later, so he is two months more at sea going back across the ocean, this time landing in Spain. And here is this broken young man, lash marks across his back and across his body, broken bones. And a group of Spanish monks happened to intervene. And they took him unto themselves and they healed his body. And of course, they taught him about Christianity and they placed him in the home of an English merchant who was living there in Spain. And there he perfected his language skills of the English language. He learned agriculture. He learned the sciences. And, of course, he learned much more about Christianity. And after a number of years being there a slave in Spain, the monks were able to get him passage again back to the New World. Fifteen years later, a slave for 15 years, finally back in the new world. Of course, his family was long since dead. His village was dispersed. His people dispersed. The village burned. There was nothing. He was literally living in the woods and went into some of the other neighboring tribes where he was welcome. Some he was not. And there he lived. Six months later, Pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock. That first winter, they starved. One-third of the women in their company died of disease. Ten children died of starvation. Several men died. They were literally dropping like flies. And in March of the following year, when they were facing starvation not knowing how they were going to get through to even plant a crop, let alone harvest it. Into their little compound one day walks a Native American named Tisquantum, who knew their language, who knew their religion, who could teach them how to dam up creeks and rivers, who could teach them how to catch eels with nets, how to plant corn with five fish and five kernels of corn and three fish. Remember the story from elementary school? 
Tis quantum. Of course, they called him Squanto. And that's the name we were taught as we were growing up. And here was this one man, the only man on the entire continent who could speak English, understood Christianity, knew agriculture, knew how to handle hydro uh, uh, power and water, who could broker alliances with neighboring tribes, who could make it possible that fall to have a Thanksgiving squanto. That's who it is. This slave who enabled a nation to be a nation before it was a nation. I think of that, and I think of the absolute providence of God, the hand of God to put the one person that was needed with the skills that were necessary in the one place. Mm, Must have been a coincidence. But all through our history, Americans have had the belief that, that God is with us. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, I am not so much concerned being on God's side as I am concerned with God. I'm sorry, with God being on my side than I am with me being on God's side. We have that feeling that we want to be on God's side and that God's on our side. George Washington, when he was taking over the command of the Continental Army at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. He said these things. He listed all the problems that the army would encounter. And he said, but if I shall be able to rise superior to these and many other difficulties, I shall most religiously believe that the finger of providence is in it and blinds the eyes of the enemy. John Page uh, a Virginia plantation owner, in the middle of all the defeats of the Revolutionary War, when, when, when George Washington's men were literally cowering at Valley Forge and defeat looked absolutely impossible, it was absolutely necessary, we were going to fall. He stood before the House of Burgesses in Virginia and he said, God preserve the United States. We know that this race is not to the swift nor this battle to the strong. Do you not think that an angel rides in the whirlwind and directs this storm? Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to King George III a year before the Declaration of Independence, July the 1st, 1775. Of course, it was, you know, Thomas Jefferson, it was more of a pamphlet than a letter. And the title of it was almost longer than the pamphlet. The title was Setting Forth the Causes and the Necessity of Their Taking Up of Arms. But what's interesting, in this letter, he speaks of these united colonies. He says that we are recipients of divine favor. He says that we are acting with the permission of providence. You get the idea that all through our history... We have seen the actions of this nation and the actions of God to come together. These blessings, these acts of grace are not some isolated instance of fortunate occurrences. They are not some long chain of haphazard coincidences. Indeed, they are a pattern. No, 
They are a divine design. Now, I'm not saying that we are the only ones as a nation that have been blessed. We have not been exclusively blessed. But we have been, I believe, uniquely blessed. While others have known God's hand, we also have known it. I tell you that we should have this, we should be recipients of these blessings, of this grace. Not with a sense of arrogance or a sense of boastfulness, but there ought to be, there ought to be a humility about it. There ought to be an accountability to know that grace is love that is not deserved. We ought to be thankful and we ought to be accountable to God for it. Benjamin Franklin said, if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, can an empire rise without his aid? There's a passage in Scripture that I like to think of in moments like this from Exodus, the 33rd chapter, beginning at verse 20. If you want to follow along, Exodus 33, it's God speaking to Moses. And if you read the passages before, it's almost like, oh, God, I want to see your hand. Oh, God, I want to know what you're doing. I I want to look into the future. We couldn't handle the future, folks. God knows that. Blow our minds. We can't handle the present. We look at this present moment based upon our own limited understanding, our our ignorance of the future, and our lackadaisical attitude toward the past, and we look at these immediate occurrences, and we pronounce it, oh, this is good, or this is bad, depending upon our feelings at the moment. Shame on us. We're like the old Chinese parable where the father, the aged father and his son had one horse and they plowed the fields. And one day the horse ran away. And all the neighbors gathered around and said, oh, bad luck. And the old farmer said, we'll see. And the next day the horse came back and had two more horses with it. Tripled his herd. (laughs) And all the neighbors said, oh, good luck. We'll see. And then the son was working on one of the new horses to break it, to plow and to ride. And the horse bucked him off and broke his leg. And all the neighbors says, hmm, bad luck. The old farmer said, we'll see. And then the army came marching through the village, recruiting and consigning young men to go off and be fodder for the enemy's weapons. But they didn't take the son because his leg was broken. And all the neighbors says, ah, good luck. We'll see. We are like that neighbor. This is good. This is bad. Without the wisdom to say, we'll see. We'll see. I tell you, my friends, we need to look at the back of God as he goes through. Look at this passage from Exodus 33. But God speaking to Moses, which says, You cannot see my face, for one may not see me and live. 
And then the Lord says that there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And I will, when my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then, then, then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face you cannot see. We are allowed to see God's presence as he passes by, as he, as, as he leaves all of his grace in his wake, as there is a trail of blessings following his passing. Do we have the wisdom? Do we have the courage? Do we have the patience to wait and see God passing by. It was Bismarck who says it is the job of the statesman to see the march of God's feet as he passes by and to race and grab his coattails as he marches on. That is also the task of the believer today. We must have the patience and the wisdom to sit and wait for God to work out his plan. As believers, we have often raised what we call Ebenezer's. We recognize that we have traveled so far in our journey, and we stop, and we we erect a rock, which you call an Ebenezer, a milestone, a monument to God's grace from that time to this. And by that grace, we go to what is on before. The, The American people have done that as well. We may not have intentionally done it in that regard, but it has happened for us in that we have created a a Memorial Day and a Veterans Day and an Independence Day. When we stop and we say, these are the things that God has done for us in the past. And we thank him for his hand upon our lives collectively and individually. And we, by grace and by love and by his presence, go forward unafraid into our future. That's what this day is for. We all know the story of Francis Scott Key and riding the Star Spangled Banner, how he was in the bottom of a prisoner of warship in Chesapeake Bay and looking out over the, the siege at Fort McHenry with the American flag flying above it, and he could see the flag all through the night and in the dawn's early light and the rocket's red glare and the bombs bursting in air. We all know the words. Do you know the words to the fourth verse? Oh, thus be it ever where free men shall stand between their loved home and war's desolation, blessed with victory and peace May the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, if our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner forever shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Would you stand with me? And now may the God who created us, the Christ who saves us, and the Spirit who sustains us bless our nation and its people and each of us. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.